Hello and welcome to this episode. This one is so important to me personally. If you've been listening to the pod for a while, you might have heard Kristen and I do earlier episodes on Hecate Supper. We are deep into this long-term project, exploring the history and significance of Hecate Supper, which are also known as the Dipnon, Dipnon meaning supper. In this one, we are talking about the meaning in the meal. And we brought into the conversation, Amanda, who is a mental health professional who keeps the key of Psychologica, the mind in the coven. We wanted to bring her into the conversation to really help us unlock the meaning of the meal. Why did the ancients do the meal? Why are we so drawn to this ritual today? We also talk about some of the different ways that we have created Hecate's Supper. We talk about making the dark goddess cheesecake from entering Hecate's garden. Uh, Kristen and Amanda and I were deep into making cheese for Hecate using an ancient Roman recipe. If you wanna learn more about that, you can join Covina. Just a reminder that we have the free, completely free, Crossroads and Keys retreat coming up in August. So if you are interested in that, you can just go to the website. I'll link to it in the show notes and you can come and hang out with us for the weekend. We are going to celebrate Pharmacaea in all of its glory. And you might just connect with Medea. So enjoy this episode. I'd love to hear from you all. Just send me an email at info at keepingherkeys.com. And hail Hecate. Hello and welcome back, or maybe welcome for the first time to the Keeping Your Keys podcast. Today, we are discussing Hecate's Supper, which is the tradition inspired by ancient practices of taking a meal to a crossroads after dark on the astrological new moon, which we call the dark moon. These were known as Hecate's suppers to the ancients. Um, the word in Greek is dipnon, so a lot of times you'll hear it referred to as Hecate's dipnon. This was a very important part of the ancient uh, religious calendar in certain areas of the Mediterranean. Unlike many deities who were honored in temples on high and so on, Hecate uniquely was propitiated at the three-way crossroads. And this reflects her primary role um, as she who watches over and abides at the liminal, the spaces in between, crossroads, thresholds, and so on. We are recording this on the astrological new moon. And I don't mean the same day as, I mean, we time this. So we are starting to record this pod right 
at the precise moment of the astrological new moon in Cancer. And of course, Hecate for many of us really invokes something deep within us that stirs our emotions, awakens our, in our intuition, and so on. So Kristen and I have been doing this year-long exploration of the meaning of Hecate Supper. So today we are going to be diving into the meaning of the meal. We'll be talking about some of the components um, and the current uh, feature of the meal that we've all been working on, which is making uh, cheese using an ancient Roman recipe and how we find meaning in making these parts of the meal using these ancient recipes, doing the research, getting the supplies and so on, how all of that for us is a way of honoring Hecate. So hi, Kristen. Hi. So Kristen and I invited Amanda, who is uh, in the Mistai. So she is in the leadership program and a guide in Covina in the Coven. So Amanda, I'm gonna, Amanda is amazing. Amanda has, just such a great spirit. Um, she's so creative, energetic. She does a zillion things. You know, if you want a busy, if you want something done, ask a busy witch and they'll get it done. So Amanda, <laughs> tell us, tell us what we, you want us to know about you. Oh, um, well, this is exciting. I'm excited to be here. And I love talking about food and I love talking about kitchen witchery and honoring Hecate with food. Um, that's so important on our house. Um, we love to eat. I love to cook, love to make new things. And um, the recipes you guys have been putting out over the last year have been fantastic. I am trying to think. I um been a part of Covina for a few years now I feel like it was like originally when I started was keeping your keys and then I came into Covina and then I left and I came back um mostly because I have a five-year-old and I'm also a grad student so I stay pretty busy with that and a full-time employee um but this is so important to me and you guys are so important to me so I'm just excited to be here and and get to participate in this Oh, well, I'm glad you're here with us, too. Me, too. <laughs> so, Amanda, so we're going to start with you since you're the new since you're the newcomer. Um, All right. OK, so you mentioned you love making the recipes that we put out. I do. And for everyone. So we're doing this live. We've got a live audience with us today. So I'm going to put up some slides so everyone can see them. And if you're listening to the pod, you'll find the link to where you can view the recording um, in the show notes. So I'm going to pop up the slides now just so we can see. See some of these things that we have been creating for Hecate. Which I absolutely love Nicole stuff. <laughs> So you recently made the Dark Goddess Cheesecake from Entering Hecate's Garden. And I have such a special relationship with that cake. Um, 
The cake is, of course, inspired by ancient cheesecakes. Then I put a really modern spin on it by adding chocolate, but it contains most of the ingredients in a traditional Hecate's meal. So it's a cheesecake, but there's also fruit, there's nuts. And then I added chocolate. And in a small shout out to Canada, I used maple syrup instead of honey. Um, so you recently made this cake and from my everyone, second time making it. They're your second time making it. Yes, oh, I didn't know that. Yes. Yes, it is. It is. It's a, it's a uh, favorite in our house. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're listening, the cake has a white chocolate strophalos, um, also known as Hecate's wheel on the top of it. So, okay, you've made it, you've made it twice. I have. So what is the meaning of, of the whole process, the meaning of making this cheesecake and then offering it to Hecate? So... <laughs> For me, it's that it's the time, it's the energy put into it, um, that connection. My hands are a part of it. Taking the time with the strophalos, I did not do the, you know, I print out the strophalos and then, you know, like you suggest, and and uh, um, you know, doing it with the white chocolate from there. But um, taking that time and just having that focus, it's a very meditative experience. Um, and it, in the, in the process of doing that, it enables me to kind of contemplate my relationship with Hecate. Um, where's it at? Like, where would I like for it to deepen? What could I do, you know, um, to honor her in the way that I feel she should be honored, um, and so that's what I like about the the cheesecake is that even though, um, you know, I don't always have the opportunity to do big elaborate things for her, taking the time for the cheesecake, you know, it's been, I think this is, uh, is it last year or the year before is when I made it previously. And, and you know, once a year, like, hey, <laughs> you really mean a lot to me. <laughs> and this is how, because she knows we love to eat around here. <laughs> I love that because I'm the same way. Not every dark moon is an elaborate Hecate's feast. Yeah. Um, and when I do make the cheesecake or like this time making the cheese, it's a way, like it, it's it's like how you would make something special for anybody you cared about. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That love put into it, you know. And this was an offering for the goddesses. And then this one was also an offering for Covina mm -hmm. um, because, you know, you all mean so much to me and are such a part of my life. Um, and so, you know, I wanted to give that. I mean, I wish I could have, you know, sent pieces out to everyone. I mean, that's, you know, it it just, that's, that's what it was for me. And I can't always, you know, do the big thing, but at least there I could, you know. I love that. And it's a hell of a good cheesecake. It is, it is. Nobody complained in this house. <laughs> it's rich. You know what's so funny? In, in preparation for doing this, I put up a post on the socials and I included a picture of the Hecate's, of the Dark Goddess Cheesecake. And someone commented and they said, hello, it's me, Hecate. DM me on it for instructions on where to send that cake. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she was right here. <laughs> I love it. It's like 
Oh, you're not <laughs> fooling me. I don't think that's actually Hecate <laughs> <Yeah>. on Facebook. <laughs> I could be wrong. They were all hanging out here that day. <laughs> okay. All right. So we bet the cheesecake on the altar. Um, maybe we should loop back and do our invocation for today. I thought for our invocation, I would read this passage from Entering Hecate's Cave. We've already got our candles lit. We did a little bit of a ritual before we began recording. So we'll invite you to light your candle lit. If you have one there and you can just close your eyes and open up to this invocation. Hail Hecate, she who stands at the threshold between the worlds. I bring you a fine meal, knowing that you intend it for the animals and the downtrodden. They, like me, are yours. I feel the restless dead and the haggard spirits gathered in this place. They, like me, are yours. I am embraced by the darkest night, for the moon has covered her face out of respect for you. They, like me, are yours. So that is a little verse from Entering Hecate's Cave. Kristen, I wonder if you would like to talk a little bit about the spirit of having a Dipnon experience, which I tried to capture in this little verse. Right. Um, so just that phrase, like they like me are yours, um, evokes so much emotion in me. Like I get that full body frisson, you know, uh, when I hear it or when I say it. Um, and so making an offering for me um, is kind of like uh, meeting Hecate where I'm at, uh, whatever that may be. Uh, whatever I have to offer and knowing that I am part of something greater. Um, so the other th thing I think about, there's a saying that you have about like, um, what is it? Uh, my mind is the altar my body is the temple and my soul is shrine upon it. Uh, my life is the ritual. And so I see that as, as my life being the ritual, <laughs> right? Um, am I making sense? Yes, you're um, making perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, um, it's just sort of showing up and being there and being present and connected to Hecate. And also uh, there's something so powerful about knowing that what I'm doing is part of this ancient lineage of honoring Hecate, right? Um, I, I do, yeah, I totally do. Yeah, makes me, it, like, it makes me feel very connected. Like there are threads of connection there. And for me, it's like time walking. Yeah. You know, I feel, you know, when I do a pilgrimage to leave a crossroads offering, like I feel like when I wrote this, I had done this, um, I'd gone up to the cliffs here where we live and the cliffs are very, it's granite, it's very open, it's on the ocean. It really reminds me of parts of the Mediterranean with those, you know, open cliffs and the scrub and there's no trees and there's something very ancient 
and there's a lot of spirits of place, you know, the um, First Nations peoples, there's a lot of that energy. And when I came back, I was thinking, like, I, I, I don't feel alone. Like, I feel the spirits of place. I feel when you go to the crossroads, you know, and I when I mentioned like the haggard spirits and the restless dead, and for me to identify that, that Hecate is connected to all those on the margins and that the very act of propitiating her at a crossroads in ancient times was like signaled that where she wasn't honored in a temple we don't go i mean we know that um at least in lagina in modern day turkey there was a temple of hecate where she was celebrated as Clydoko's keeper of the keys and she was a you know she was a temple goddess but for many of the ancient places where she was venerated she was venerated at the crossroads or at the entrance to temples um which links to her you know this is like her roles as anodia goddess of the crossroads and propylaea um, the one at the threshold or the gate you know she's not she is a goddess who is where the people are right. especially people who may have been pushed aside by like mainstream society. And, and for me, that's what I was like attempting to capture um, in that verse. Cause it was one of those verses that just kind of fell out as is, hasn't been changed for years. Um, and that sense of connection to what is deeper and greater than us. Like for me, I always encourage everyone. I know it, for many people, it's not practical or safe to do this kind of ritual where you travel at night to a crossroads. But if you can, you know, you need to do it at least once. However mm -hmm. elaborate, whether you're like Amanda and you have a piece of dark goddess cheesecake, or, you know, it's something simple, like you stop at the store and buy some Ritz crackers. I would give Hecate Ritz crackers, not saltines, yeah. like she like a special cracker. <laughs> <laughs> you know and a piece of cheddar if that's what you can do then that's Hecate will be well pleased by that because I, I don't want to make people think in order to please Hecate you have to spend two and a half days making cheesecake or cheese or I mean we did fish before Kristen and all the research yeah. that we went into the type of fish that we offered we did um, cakes for Hecate which was a lot of research. So the basic components of an ancient Hecate supper, I think I put those on a slide just so we can talk about those. So there's different ancient sources. Kristen and I spent many, many days last winter, which I'll never forget, following the threads all the way back to what the original source was for the ingredients in a Hecate supper, because we have a yeah, PDF yeah. of this out of print book, The Goddess Hecate by uh, the academician, Stephen Ronan. And we have his description, which I'll just read. As is usually the case with offerings to the dead, the regular Hecate's dipnon on the 30th of the month consisted of food. The specific articles, so far as they are mentioned, were Megides, a kind of loaf or cake, the shaping and ingredients of which are not clear, the manis or sprat, 
scarota or garlic, the trigle or mullet, sonetta, a sacrificial cake described by Harpocration as somewhat like the posada, eggs, cheese, possibly the bosunius, a kind of cake. So we started with that description. And, you know, other writers and websites, you know, follow this when they talk about what goes in a Hecate supper. And then we did, so after we did all that research, and if you listen or watch to our Eggs for Hecate uh, episode, you'll find we talk more about the research there. Then we did the Eggs for Hecate, which was interesting because all of our research showed that the eggs were actually raw. Um, unlike the fish, which was prepared, uh, unlike the, the cakes, which were cheesecakes, um, the bread, which when he talks about the, um, the sonetta or the passata, like it's not, a pancakes but it's not dissimilar to pancakes we are not talking about a baguette um so you have a really special relationship to the bread aspect of Hecate's supper so maybe you can share a little bit about that journey and I think we have a slide for that the uh, pancakes. The pancakes. pancakes. <laughs> which we call pancakes, but are more in the bread department and are akin to what Ronan was talking about. Right. In terms of what the bread actually would have been <laughs> like. The cakes, it's pretty clear they would have been cheesecake. Um, <laughs> but the bread is a little bit of a mystery, but you did all the research to come <laughs> to and you landed on a certain type of bread, which we call pancakes today. Right. Tiganides. Okay. Tell us about Tiganides. Um, so I guess, what are they? Like um, an ancient version of pancakes. Yeah, that's all they are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or flatbread. Um, make it sound fan- more bready and say yeah. they're flatbread. Right. Um, and I know that they were usually doused in honey or walnuts or almonds or things that were sacred to Hecate. And it makes sense that they probably very likely would have been used as an offering. And so for me personally, this started, there's another practice um, that was common on the dip knot that uh, was offering a katharma or like household sweepings or like food leftovers. And so I started this thing because I make a crossroads pilgrimage um, uh, to the dip knot or, or like on the dip knot every month. Um, I go to a very special crossroads and um, I wanted something that was easily portable. And so um, I started making these pancakes because they were a good way to like hold and carry leftovers and they became more and more elaborate. And I started like with honey and like adding ricotta and like adding lavender and all these nuts and fruits and stuff and so it just kind of became my thing Hecate's pancakes and I had no idea that I was tapping into this like ancient lineage um so yeah it's like it's just it's tradition now um (laughs) so just like help me understand so you didn't know what you were like you didn't do research and then start making these pancakes 
No, not at all. It happened totally organically. Um, you know, because like they're portable. Like I travel and uh, I'll wrap them while I'm here talking about it. I like to wrap them in corn husks because if you're going to leave them at a crossroads, like you want to leave them on something that's like biodegradable, right? Um, you want to make sure it's all safe for the wildlife and everything. So yeah, I had no idea. This was, I just really love pancakes <laughs> and it was a good way to incorporate, uh, like I said, the katharma or the household leftovers and it just evolved into this you knew tiganides who knew and then doing the research although it's obscure you know what the the kind of bread actually was like we said we're confident in saying that it's likely that tiganides or pancakes could have been the bread offering because they were, I think if we look at Galen, I think I've got the passage from Galen, I do. So Galen's on the properties of food stuff, um, writing, of course, after, like, he, this, is, he, this is a, like, he's a historian writing about earlier practices. Um, so he talks about these griddle cakes, um, and he, he uses the word tiganate, and then he talks about like how they're prepared so it's interesting because you have your recipe that you developed up in uh, Covina in Hecate's Crossroads and we're reading what Galen like I thought you must have done the research and you read this recipe and then you did it Mm -mm. so you were really connected like you were you were dialed in I'm telling you I tapped into something greater than myself um yeah yeah um, and it's fascinating to look back and see this. I mean, if you look through uh, the slide uh, <laughs> that you were just on, it's, it's just elaborate instructions for pancakes. It's this. <laughs> um, and then on this slide, underneath, so these are, if you're watching, you can see that where Kristen's Hecate tree is. Yeah. And, you know, like, so the Hecate supper I think a lot of us like have a special location that we take these offerings on the dark moon. Um, and there's such like profound meaning. Like, I don't feel obligated to do this. Like I don't, cause one of the things with like some of the writings about um, these ancient Hecate suppers, it's like, it was to propitiate Hecate so you were protected from evil spirits and so on, like, because if Hecate wasn't well-pleased, then her horde might come and get you. Like, I don't have that mentality at all. I do this because I really have found the center of my being through my connection with Hecate. So I don't feel obligated to do it. And if some months... It's, you know, nothing super special. Um, I also don't feel like I'm disappointing Hecate. And I give myself the grace to say, well, this month there isn't time for something elaborate, but just make the trek. Like just go to the spot uh, and do the thing, whether the spot is your altar and you, you know, cross three branches on your altar or you can get out to a place like Kristen and I go, well, you actually leave home. I go, I stay on my property. I have done it at the end of the driveway. Um, yeah, I usually leave home. 
Right, because the driveway can be like a three-way crossroads, right? Because it's a T. Yeah. It's like your property, what came before, what came after. So that's fine. Um, So there's something also really moving about, like I was saying, meeting Hecate where you're at, whether or not you have an elaborate offering. Sometimes I'll give an energetic offering. Sometimes I'll like give up, um, you know, like an unhealthy habit and adopt a healthy habit. But I try to make it to the crossroads. I mean, even if it is the end of my driveway, like I try to go and have a moment with Hecate. And um, so there's something about meeting Hecate in that place um, that is centered in sort of like faith in yourself and faith in Hecate and faith in the journey. Um, And I think about uh, this idea of leaving the meal at the crossroads and walking away, right? And so that takes faith, right? Like to leave your offering in the right hands or in Hecate's hands and like know that it's going to go where it needs to go and that it's going to be what it needs to be. And I actually, I want to tell a little bit of a story. Uh, my first dip non offering, I went way, way out in the woods, deep into the Mississippi woods in the darkness. And I left my offering and the battery on my flashlight died. So I was in the middle of the woods in the dark and um, I had to find my way back home. And there was something, it was very much for me about like trusting the journey and mm-hmm. I don't know how to explain that it was a very numinous experience but it was a very powerful experience like trusting Hecate and trusting myself and so it's something that that's something that making that trek is really special to me yeah it holds such a like a sacred place for me like the, the trek and I had a similar experience one time early on I went up to the cliffs after dark even with a flashlight, it's really dangerous. You know, some of the cliffs are a few hundred meters down in different places. And uh, and I was I was scared. And for me, that going to the crossroads is unsettling. Like Hecate is unsettling. You know, she's the space between. She's lunar. She's magic. She's the light in the darkness. Um and it yeah it just holds such a central place to me and I think I don't know Amanda I'd like to get your thoughts on this so doing these crossroads rituals and a lot of times we're doing them on our own they're very intimate us and Hecate and the spirits animals whoever eats the food um it's not designed to be a show and tell like this isn't designed you know I'm thinking like if we place all like I'm thinking of like ancient temples or even like different places like you know pagan organizations maybe today where you know they bring all the offerings or even like in your home like we have family altars and whatnot and like you put the all offering there and everybody can kind of see it and be like look at us making offerings aren't we wonderful Um, but this is the opposite of this I don't know have you ever thought of that before no, I, th- I that makes sense though. Um, I know for like, so I, but I usually leave my offerings at the corner of our fence, um, and I have some candles out there, but you can't really tell that's what it's for. And we moved our compost over there, and so I set the com- I set the offering at the compost. Um, ha- how it happens? I mean, right now, you know, I have chickens, and so they 
probably are like the first ones there. So I, they probably get the offering before Hecate. But that's, yeah, that's where I end up leaving it, right? Um, and that's kind of become her little sacred area in her house. Would you know that? No, because like I have eight feet tall pokeweeds that are growing over there. I now have some new plant that has like sprouted up some kind of squash. I have grape that's growing out of it. <laughs> and it's taken over. And I just looked at my husband, I'm like, well, it's got a life of its own now. I don't even, <laughs> but that was kind of the, you know, the little quiet offering area. Um for her to have so that I could have those moments when I can't get out of the house because usually you know I, I'm not able to go and and um, somewhere and and leave an offering um, and so giving me that opportunity to go out there and just connect for a few minutes by myself um, and having that private moment and I like that I like the fact that it's private and it's not a big showy thing um, yeah, I think that's important. And it's very like liminal and intimate, right? Like it's it's not, you know, being like in a big temple somewhere and doing this. It's it's about that kind of intimacy that comes after dark, especially when the, the moon is obscured because it's the new moon. You know, all of those kind of elements that are involved in doing this. And I love how your space is becoming like a wild Hecate's garden. Kristen, you touched on something earlier that I wanna circle back to because I know, I think we might have talked about this briefly before, is like how you are inspired by like some of the other ancient practices that were part of this ritual. So one part of the ritual, the one that we all know is there was this supper, uh, you took it to a crossroads. We know that part. This was an elaborate, like all day, maybe probably starting at least the night before with the cooking and so on. So it was an elaborate process. And part of that process was the purification of the home. Right. And we've talked about that. I think when we did culinary psychopomp, we talked about that, But but something that always sits on me is this business about offering household waste, especially like the waste associated with preparing to, to do the, the ritual meal mm -hmm. and what that means like for us today. Like Amanda, you said, you know, you, you have it by the compost and I'm like, oh, that's super uh, in keeping with the ancient practices. And Kristen, you were like, this is how the Tiganatis got started. I had some leftovers. Yeah. And I know that it can be hard for us to kind of wrap our head around the idea that this mighty goddess that we adore is venerated through like, you know, the dustpan, what's in the dustpan, or that a sacred space to her is the compost, or that you know, leftovers are fine, but it's historically accurate. Um, and that th they would have done this. Now, of course, our household waste today is very different. Um, and that's why I really like the compost. I, I feel like the compost bin is sacred to Hecate to you, Amanda. I wish it was less sacred to the raccoons and bears, but we're working on that. 
Um, I don't know. The chickens love it. <laughs> chickens, right? Like it's like all the animals love the compost bin, and Hecate, of course, is associated with uh, animals. <laughs> Many animals. <laughs> um, maybe Kristen, you can unpack a little bit, like the meaning of the kind of messy or ugly side of, you know, like the household waste and what meaning that has for you? Um, right. So I don't know that I would necessarily call it ugly. Um, like I was saying, uh, katharma or katharmas is like what this is, um, the offering of household waste. And you think about in ancient times, like that wouldn't have been straight up garbage. It Perfect. wouldn't have been like soda cans yeah. and like... I don't know what happened there. Keep talking. It wouldn't have been like soda cans and you know, like plastic and it would have been like, uh, food scraps or, yeah. you know, things like that. And, um, I'm really drawn to the idea of purification for me. It's like a, it's sort of like a fresh start. Um, it's sort of like pulling myself together and honoring my life, which is honoring Hecate. And, uh, I was thinking about this, uh, on the way home last night, I'm going to go into left field here for just a second. But I was thinking about how, you know, we talked about the lustral eggs, which lustral means like purifying um, or like lustral water, like kernets or, you know, like, which is essentially like holy water is cleansing of my asthma. Um, and I was thinking about the nature of the offerings. When you think about grain or you think about eggs, or you think about a lot of the these things have like um are rooted in like fertility or have regenerative qualities and there's something about like leaving the offering and trusting that it's going to go where it needs to go like I have this thing that I do um and I talked about this in culinary psychopomp I will groom my dogs or if I want to leave an offering of myself like I'll leave some hair clippings or something and um I'll put that out uh in the yard and I have seen birds take the hair and like build nests out of it you know and it's like really beautiful to see um sort of that uh cyclical nature of things like being reused you know um like nature will do what it will like it, it will be of use you know like you you release it and you trust that it goes where it needs to go Right. It doesn't just Does go to sense? waste. It doesn't yeah, go to yeah. waste. Like yeah. you said, like the grain um, or the cheese or the egg, the eggs always get eaten here by the wildlife. When I put a raw egg out there, like, thank you, Cindy. Um, but the rest of it, I mean, and there's no, like there's fish in it, but there's no, um, like, uh, I don't know how to say this. There's no flesh, right? There's no animal flesh in this meal. Um, and you, like you said, it's all, I'm even thinking of, I love it when you go in left field. Cause I'm like, I'm coming with you. Um, <laughs> and Amanda's like, oh, this is fun. <laughs> We're always on the left-hand path. Sometimes we even ver verge farther to the left around here. Um, you know, that even like the cheese as it turns yeah. to mold. Yeah. Like if it, if nobody eats the cheese. The cheese turns to mold, which the earth needs. Yeah. Um, because just the aspect of, it's just a question we get asked a lot. Like my Cersei's filter started to grow mold and I'm like, oh, that's really cool. That's, mm -hmm. that's great. 
because it's all like it's that regeneration mm-hmm. um and i think about uh from we know that uh these were like offerings but I'm, I'm trying to figure out the right way to say this like the common person this is yeah. an offering that the common person would make um and you know they wouldn't have been rich and it was different times like you know the milk from your goat or the eggs from your chickens or like would have been really really valuable and um like you were saying, as these things uh, start to go. And if you think about the cheese and you think about the vinegar and you think about the oil, um, like these are all preservation methods. Mm-hmm. Like these are all ways to sustain that food and sustain that nourishment. Um, yeah. So I completely lost my thought here. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm picking it up. No. <laughs> I don't love field. Yeah. Um, so yeah there's something there um there's something there about like i was saying just trusting that that these things will be of use yes and i like how you said about sometimes it's a habit or maybe it's something that you've been carrying like something that burdens you and in terms of like what the ancients would have done their purification like their miasma removal um Mm -hmm. you know that's we might have different words today in how we describe that process, but it's the same, it's the same energy, right? Like, you know, when they were dealing with cleansing the miasma in the house, it was like, you know, relationship problems and, you know, they just called it miasma, but now we have different words for that. So I, for me, like giving up something on the Depnon is, something I often do and that like I know the word sacrifice is really loaded for people especially like in our self-absorbed modern lives that we all lead but that the original meal would have been a sacrifice for the family making the meal for the household making the meal right these were valuable items they could not just go to Whole Foods and grab a gallon of goat milk and it costs a fraction of their household income right exactly. that would have meant you know making sure like most of these farmers would have been sustenance farmers or uh you know in the more metropolitan areas like to go and have to buy these things you know it would there would have been considerable costs right. especially the mullet we riffed about the mullet and culinary psychopomp so we will save our love of the mullet fish for another <laughs> you can you can listen to that episode um so i think about that like sacrifice what does that mean in the modern sense like if i just go to the store and buy some flatbread and cheese for me like that's not much of i spend like say i spend 30 bucks um that's not really a sacrifice for me you know, it, it works a little differently for me, I think, because I'm a chef. And so offering food is a labor of love, like naturally. But you can see uh, in the photos, if you can see the slides, like um, I will make the dinner as I would for someone that I really love. Like it's an act of gratitude. It's an act of devotion. 
And um, sometimes, you know, my wife has been like, where are my fancy pancakes? <laughs> like, I'm like, they're, they're for Agatay. Those aren't your pancakes. I love that. My, my sons will do that too. They'll be, can we eat that? I'll be like, don't touch that cheese. Yeah. You can have some once Hecate gets hers. I, that's a tradition here. Yeah. That, yeah. that um, you know, whatever it is that we're making, I might taste it to make sure it tastes good. Because like you said, it's an offering of love. So whatever it is, I want to make sure the raccoons and the bears and so on and enjoy it. Um, but then we eat after. It's always we eat the thing after whatever yeah. whatever we're offering. Sometimes I do like a frittata for Hecate. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't know, like it's, there's something that is so meaningful to me in the process of like researching ancient recipes and then preparing it and honoring Hecate that way. And then even how we're sharing like what our practices are and what we've learned about the history of it in these conversations, like that is an offering that has a lot of meaning. Um, It holds so much meaning to me. It's difficult to put it into words. I know when I am, we're going to switch to talking about the cheese, but like when I was making the cheese, I felt like you said, part of a lineage. Yeah. It goes back thousands of years of making cheese for Hecate. Um, I felt connected to something greater than me. And for me, because I do have this like ally, ancestor, person who I'm very connected with, um, like almost as a kind of mighty dead figure, like I feel very connected to her as well when I'm doing this. Like I feel like I am being right. Does that make sense? Like when I do these yeah. things, like I am in the right. You know how sometimes right. whatever you're doing in life, you're like, I am definitely where I'm supposed to be doing what I should be yeah. doing in the way I should be doing it at that moment. And that for me, that's so much greater than you know, fussing over the specific ingredients or, or thing, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's that feeling of being in, like, we call it flow because that's the psychological word a lot of us know. Okay. So when I made this cheese from Dere Rustica by uh, Columella last, when did I make it? Like last Thursday, I think it was, I didn't get started till later in the day. And it was just, it was a transcendent experience. I mean, mm-hmm. I love to cook. Um, you know, food is definitely a way that I show my love for other people. And I also just like, I love the process of cooking and creating something. It's magic to me. So I made this cheese and I just felt so connected to that lineage. I felt connected to Hecate. I felt like I was having one of those right place, right time, right moments. I am so much more than this experience. Um, and so let's just talk a little bit about the origins of Columella's cheese. So why, Kristen, did we pick to make a fresh cheese as opposed to 
uh, just going out and buying like a really expensive piece of Parmigiano Reggiano, for example. Like, what? Why do you like? What do you find value in the making it yourself as opposed to buying something look uh, like a luxury cheese? Is that a word? Well, luxury I, cheese? Yeah, luxury cheese is totally a thing. Okay. <laughs> um, so I, I mean, I think it comes back to everything that we just said. Um, and there is this sort of for me there's almost like this sort of soul code um, connection to this lineage right and just sit with this for a second think about this thousands of years like 2000 year old lineage um, of doing this uh, and it is a labor of love right and so I try to put myself often in the mindset of um, like the average person in ancient times who would be maybe like have a little excess milk or like you know, want to leave this offering, which, you know, like we, I, I say milk, like it's easy, but it's not easy when you have to get up every morning and like milk your goat and, you know, do the things. Um, and uh, it's a labor of love, you know, uh, and that's, that's, that's it. That's, that's all I can say, uh, really. Like it's, you're, you're putting effort into it. It's an act of devotion for me. No, yeah, definitely. I had kind of an epic time getting the goat milk for the cheese. I didn't know goat milk was so popular. And so I went into the city and I was going from like locally sourced store to locally sourced store trying to find some local goat milk and there was traffic and there was construction and it was hot. And just in the moment of it, I was like, no, it's so fitting that yeah. it's taken, it took me like three hours to get goat milk because I betcha if I tried to milk a goat, it would take me a lot longer than three hours to get a gallon of goat milk right um and it yeah. doesn't always turn out so amanda whose dark goddess cheesecake is divine um you are bringing the energy of yes like being real to this so tell us about your cheese well yes yeah, so i i don't even know i well i couldn't find goat's milk and this is what i get for putting too many things on my plate at one time could not find goat's milk and um so i used cow's milk because it says you can in the recipe and i was like oh and i i'm lactose intolerant but i was like well i'll give it a shot my family won't appreciate it but i'll give it a shot so i tried that and um i originally i was going to make the uh thistle rennet and then it dried out before i got back from vacation so that didn't happen um it was like a snowball effect and I used vinegar and it, it just didn't seem to go really well so I have a small amount of cheese what I do have tastes fantastic so I will say that there's only this like teensy tiny little amount um I'm going to the farmer's market tomorrow and I'm hoping that one of the farmers has goat milk and I can try it again but it tastes really good what did but it was uh my husband laughed at me. He thought it was hilarious that uh, <laughs> <laughs> I would add cheese making to my resume. So, but I, I don't give up. So I'll, I'll give it a shot again. But I mean, it tastes really good. The recipe is is good, and I love cheese. But yeah, it's a little frustrating when it doesn't turn out well, and and I have my perfectionistic tendencies. So I'm like, oh, but there you go, guys. So if you make it, just know. It may not turn out well. And I don't know if it's because of the cow's milk. I, I don't, I don't really know. 
Well, time to look good enough at, right? Like, you know, like you put, you found the meaning in it, you know, like you did the whole experience and -hmm. sometimes it just doesn't turn out. So I I think I tried it in the morning. So that's part of it. I'm cranky in the mornings. (laughs) I got cranky cheese. I did. did. (laughs) Um, So if you're, if you're joining us live, we're going to be transitioning to talking more about the cheese, including a walkthrough of how to make the cheese. If you've uh, joined us for this conversation on the pod, you'll be able to find some links where you can access more information about making the Columella's Duray Rustica cheese. Duray Rustica is the name of Columella's book, um, which basically means the country life. Um, or on agriculture, you can find that PDF and find that recipe online just by looking for Columella's cheese. Um, I hope we've inspired you to make your own Hecate supper. Maybe it's going to be a melange of food items and you'll write an offering as well of what you're giving her, what you're Uh, release of miasma is so it can be regenerated however you celebrate uh, the the dark moon as a Hecatean we hope it brings you a great deal of meaning and thank you so much for joining us bye everybody inhale Hecate The Keeping Her Keys podcast is produced and hosted by me, Cindy Brannon. I'm a witch and psychologist living in coastal Nova Scotia, Canada. I've written several books about Hecate and also my very first book that's more of an introduction to Awakening the Witch Within. That one's called True Magic. My frequent guests on the show are guides from my school known as Covina, the Coven of Hecate. You'll be listening to them on different episodes, and they are just an amazing group of witches that I am so happy to have in the circle of making this podcast a reality. Episodes usually explore something connected to the goddess Hecate. I became fascinated with the goddess Hecate so, so long ago. I do deep dives with different partners on goddesses and aspects of Hecate. Sometimes I do more psycho-spiritual episodes where I talk about constructs and how they intersect with the practice of natural magic. And frequently, you'll find meditations. If you're interested in learning more about my work, just go to keepingyourkeys.com. You'll find out more about my books, more about Hecate, and how you can join Covina, the Coven of Hecate. If you enjoy this podcast, be sure to follow it. I usually release new episodes every Thursday. And I would absolutely love it if you could rate and review the podcast. It is so, so helpful. If you have any questions or ideas for future shows, 
You can send them to info at keepingherkeys.com. Thanks so much for listening, and hail Hecate. Thank you.